go. Now we're awake. So it's Thanksgiving week. Who's ready for a break, a Thanksgiving break? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should be good. I'm ready for turkey. I love Thanksgiving. When Elizabeth read that long passage, I probably should have put there at the end just an added statement, which is the end. Because if you don't have your Bible open, you're not following along with the reading, that's actually the closing statement, the very end of the book of Acts in the New Testament. And so that means for us, we're ending our sermon series. It's been about 10 weeks. We've been looking at the second part of the book of Acts, and we've called it Throwback. We've been looking back at the beginning of the church, the start of the church, and asking what can we learn from these first churches, the first churches ever that were ever started and planted. When we opened this series, I shared a quote from a New Testament scholar. His name's Michael Green, and he wrote a book on the book of Acts, and the book was called 30 Years That Changed the World. And I, I want to read it again. I have it here on the screen for all of us. It's coming. There, it's coming soon. There it is. In a couple slides there. We'll see this quote. And Michael Green wrote, there it is, three crucial decades in world history. That is all it took. In the years between AD 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion adherents. And the seedbed of all this, the time when it took decisive root, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women. What can we learn from these people who turned the world upside down in so short a space of time? And that last question there, I think, is the key question. That's what we've been looking at these past ten weeks. What can we learn from these people who turned the world upside down in so short a space of time? Whether we're followers of Jesus today, we're Christians, or whether we are still not sure, we're investigating Jesus and we're still exploring what it means to be a Christian. I think all of us long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Something that we can pour our lives into and give our lives to that give our lives meaning. We want to leave something behind at the end of our lives that's bigger than just us. In Acts especially the ending that we just heard, is meant to be an invitation to join something bigger, to join this movement that left the world completely changed. So today we're closing with our final message. It's called Movement Church, and we're going to be looking at Paul in Rome and the church that began there. So if you want to start a movement with a speech or a book or some type of story, the ending of that speech is crucial, Right? If your goal is to start a worldwide movement, you want to end it with a bang. Think about some famous speeches. I was looking at some this week. I have a dream speech, Martin Luther King. A great ending. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. That is an ending. That will start a movement. And it did. Or you could go back further. Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address. It ended like this. Here we highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, 
and that government of the people, by the people and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. He nailed it. I was looking at others, Winston Churchill, Susan B. Anthony, some great speeches. But if you want to start a movement to reach the ends of the earth, like Acts is saying, that it was written about this movement, the, the, the Christian church, then you can't end with a dud that just kind of flames out. You want to end with a bang. Alex de Campi, who is an author, said, There's nothing on earth like really nailing the last line of a book. You have 200 pages to tickle their fancy and seven words to break their heart. So the ending of Acts that we just heard, what do you think? At first, do you think it's the type of ending that can inspire a worldwide movement? At first we might go, I don't know. It kind of ends with a little bit of a, eh, what was that all about? Is that it? But I hope to help us all see this morning that it is. It is a power ending. And what we have here is a combination of at least three different kinds of endings all put together. And so that's the outline that we're going to look at this morning. Happy ending, with a question mark, spoiler ending, and last, open ending. Together, I think we'll see that all three together are the kind of ending that can start a movement and can call us to be a part of that. So first, let's look at happy ending, question mark. That's not a typo. The first kind of ending to a story is what I'll call the happy ending, question mark. When you're watching a movie or a TV series, there's nothing worse than an extremely unsatisfying ending. Maybe you invested two hours in a movie. Maybe you invested days into a TV series or months of your life, and it gets to the end, and the worst thing ever is when it ends and you're like, no, that can't be it. That's horrible. What about this? What about that? There's too many loose ends. That's the worst feeling we have. That's how many people have felt about the book of Acts throughout history. You're asking, what happened to Paul? That's it? Did he die? Was he acquitted? He was sitting there on trial. Why this downer ending quote from the book and the prophet of Isaiah? What about the church in Rome? What happened? There's all kinds of things that we would expect to be answered that aren't. And we have four Gospels. We have multiple letters from the Apostle Paul and other writers. But we only have one book of Acts. The history of the early church. And this is the ending we have. Shouldn't it have a happier ending? Shouldn't it have an ending with a bang? Well, if you think so, you're not the first one to think that. Some later scribes have tried to add their own better ending to the book. Some have just put the word, Amen. And I take that to mean that they're like, yes, this really is the end of the book of Acts. Amen, that's it. Some have tried to add a little bit of more like pizzazz to it and said um, that this is Jesus, the Son of God, through whom the whole world will be judged. I'm trying to make it more dramatic there at the end. But this ending that we have, it wasn't a mistake. So why end like this? Is it a happy ending? I would argue that it is when we remember what the story is about and we remember who the story is about. First, what is the story about? If we go back to the very beginning of the book of Acts, we need to look at the whole story. We find the main thesis statement of the book in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. There Jesus is telling this small group of people, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
from Acts 1.8 to Acts 28, now we see the mission has been accomplished. This movement began with this small group of people praying together in Jerusalem. And not only were they a presence in Jerusalem and throughout those regions of Judea and Samaria, but it traveled throughout the Greco-Roman world and ended up in the most powerful city of its time in Rome. So somehow, what Jesus said would happen to this very small group of people that he said would happen in Acts 1-8, it has happened in only about 30 years. And so the stage has been set for people from all nations to the ends of the earth to hear about the message of Jesus. What began was in essentially somebody's back room called their upper room in a prayer meeting and now Caesar himself is one step away from hearing about the message of the gospel. So when we see that whole thing, we're supposed to step back and go, that's incredible. How could that ever happen? And the point is that against all odds, God's purpose, God's plan, and God's mission will always prevail. And that should give us great comfort, great faith, and great hope. No matter how things look, even as we think about our times today, no matter what's happening in our culture, whether we're encouraged or discouraged, no matter who's in leadership, whether we're encouraged or discouraged, the odds are always on God's side. So, if you thought the Chicago Cubs illustrations were over, I have to say, no, this is just the beginning. I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, so I'm a very happy man right now. Earlier on this year, when the season just began, I made a prediction and I was um, preaching a sermon and decided to make my prediction there and said that this is the year. The Chicago Cubs are going to win it all. And when I did that, one of my friends that week happened to go to Vegas and he bought me a, a bet. He put a bet down for me on the Chicago Cubs. So I still have that ticket. And so now I'm feeling very proud of myself. I made the prediction. But it wasn't all that bold of a prediction because the Cubs were the favorite team in Vegas to win it all. So the odds were in their favor. So if I had made that bold prediction like four years ago, then that would have been impressive if it would have happened when there was no chance that they would have won. What's the point of all that? No one would have bet in 30 years that this group of people in a closet, in a back room in Jerusalem would have made an impact in the city of Rome and throughout all of the Greco-Roman world. The end of Acts is saying... Never bet against God, accomplishing His purpose, bringing His plan to fulfillment, and bringing His mission into fruition in your life and to the ends of the earth. So this morning, where are you discouraged? Where are you struggling? Against all odds, when it seems like there's no way, we can hold on to this that God's purpose and God's plan and His mission, it will prevail. And that's a happy ending. That's what the story is about. We also need to remember who the story is about in order to feel the impact of the ending of the book of Acts. We need to remember that this is not a story about Paul. We've been reading so much about Paul, and he's a huge part of it for sure, a very important part, as Peter is and others. But the story is not a biography of the life of Paul. It's about what Jesus continued to do in and through His people, and by the Spirit, and through the power of the Gospel, 
That's what the book is about. And what makes something a happy ending anyway? When we feel a sense of satisfaction and we feel like this has been a happy ending in my life or this is a happy ending in a story, it all depends on what we look for for happiness, doesn't it? And what's fascinating about the book of Acts is that we get to see how Paul made sense of this ending himself. Because when he was in prison, when he was there in Rome, he was writing letters to churches. And one of those letters was a letter to the Philippian church. Paul's most happy, most joyful letter was written during these two years. And in this letter, he talks about this very time that he had in Rome. And I want to talk about and look at some of what he says there. In verse 12 of chapter 1 in Philippians, he tells them this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And he goes on to tell them how, and he's filling in, like, how is this going to end, Paul? How do you think it's going to end? He says, by life or death, I don't know. I'm living with courage that Jesus will be honored by my life. Verse 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That if I die now, I will die happy. It will be a happy ending. If I don't, he says, what will make me most happy? Philippians 1.25 would be to see the gospel progress in you and for you to be able to find joy in Jesus. So Paul is saying, Acts 28 is a happy ending. Why? It's because the gospel advanced through him and in him. Because he was finding his joy in Jesus and helping others to do the same. And Paul is saying, even my own story, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And that was Paul's secret to finding true joy and happiness. So how does that apply to us? Let me ask you this. What's the happy ending that you would most wish for in the hardest thing that you're facing right now in your life? What's the happy ending that you most wish for and the hardest thing that's happening in your life for the people around you? If you could write the ending, what would you write? Acts 28, it liberates us from the happily ever after syndrome, is what I'll call it. Often we're chasing that. We're chasing this happily ever after ending. And usually that means when it all works out for my comfort, for my recognition, for my fulfillment, and my success, then I'll be happy. But if that's the happy ending we're chasing, it's so elusive, we're never going to find it. Our stories are a part of a greater story. And Paul's reflections on Acts 28 show us what a truly happy ending is. I have a slide up here. I want to use Paul's statements, his reflection on his own life, on this ending in in Acts 28, to write truly happy endings into our own stories. What are some examples of those? Let's put those up one at a time. They would be something like this. And so, Jesus has become more real to me. Through it all, my joy in Him has deepened. The end. Another one. And I realize somehow... I helped another person, him or her, find real joy in Jesus and progress in their faith. The end. Or a third one. In the obstacles I faced, I've seen the gospel advance like I would have never have dreamed. The end. The point is that people who live for these happy endings 
are like a spark. They're like a fire to ignite a movement of the gospel wherever they go. Acts 28 is a happy ending. Second point, there's another kind of ending that's common when we're watching a movie, maybe we're reading a book, and this feeling starts to come over us. Really early on, we're like, I already know how this is going to end. That guy's the bad guy. He's going to die. He's going to kill him. And this is how it's all going to work. And we're like, okay, I'm just waiting to see that happen. It's kind of a spoiler ending because we know how it's going to end anyway. Or even worse, when we haven't even seen a movie or we haven't even read a book, but somebody comes up to us and tells us, oh, this is how it ends. Did you know that so-and-so dies? And you're like, thank you. Thank you very much. You just ruined that for me. That's a spoiler ending. So, in going all the way to Acts 28, we've kind of fast-forwarded over uh, many different chapters, 21 through 27, in our study of the book of Acts. What happened in chapters 21 through 27? Let's get some context. Paul has had to sit through five different trials. He's been on trial for his ministry. He's been falsely accused. He's escaped assassination attempts. He's been through storms at sea. He was shipwrecked, and then, to top it all off, he was bitten by a poisonous snake. And we're going, what is happening here? And somehow, he made it to Rome, and there he was, but he's still chained to a Roman soldier. Every four hours, the way it would work, a different soldier would come and handcuff themselves in chains to Paul. And that was his life. And we might think, whew, Paul barely made it to Rome. And now he's still a prisoner. That is not a very good ending. What a downer. But once we get to the end of Acts, I believe we're meant to pause, to step back, remember the whole story, catch our breath from that wild ride that the Apostle Paul was on, and take in the whole thing. And remember what we just said. What is this story about? Who is this story about? And then remember how it is that God moves. How does God start and sustain movements in His mission of redemption in the world? And when we do that, we're meant to step back and realize this is a spoiler ending. I know what's happening here. I know how this is going to end because God always works through trials, obstacles, and suffering. Throughout the book of Acts, throughout the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, it's not despite the trials, the obstacles, and the difficulties, but it's in and through those that God brings life and healing and hope. They don't stop His mission. In these things, the mission of God is strengthened. Two examples of this here in our story at the end of Acts and one from history, the end of the story, so to speak. Let me talk first about these two examples in the text. So we, we end here with Paul under house arrest. He's in a house. He can't leave. He's just there under house arrest. And at first we might think, that's not good. Paul's mission was to go to Rome to strengthen the church and then from there to move out and to reach Spain and beyond. He's stuck in a house in Rome. But that isn't true. Number one, this kept Paul still long enough to prayerfully and thoughtfully write three of the letters that we have today in the New Testament, most likely Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians. It also kept him in a safe place where he could welcome anyone to come and hear the message of the gospel and it kept him from being implicated in another crazy riot and chaos in the city of Rome. Not only would have that 
hurt his ministry there. That would have hurt the church throughout the Roman Empire. And so we see what a brilliant idea this was. God was turning the tables on Paul's imprisonment. We also see it ends with Paul's chains. He, he emphasizes that. He says in verse 16 and 20, <clears throat> says this is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. But then at the end of the book it says he's preaching unhindered. Isn't that a contradiction? How can he be unhindered if he's chained? But back to Philippians. Remember he said, what happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul had a very captive audience in the imperial guard, Caesar's private guard. Every four hours a new guard would come and they would hear the gospel. How could Paul have gotten any closer to the most powerful person in the world, Caesar himself? What we see as a hindrance is actually an opportunity for the gospel. What a crazy idea. God is turning the tables. And third, an example from history. We have two movements coming to a head right here at the end of the book of Acts. We have the Roman Empire and the kingdom of God that has come in the gospel of Jesus. Rome was the invincible empire of its day. If you lived back then, with all its power, with all its wealth, you would have never thought it would come to an end. There is no way. Too powerful. Too strong. And yet we know that it did come to an end. It crumbled and it faded away. But the kingdom of God prevailed. Through a man in chains, in house arrest. Throughout changing cultures and rulers and nations, the movement of the gospel continues. God is turning the tables. Why is this a spoiler ending? Because this is always how God works. This is how He does His best work. He turns the tables on suffering and evil to bring life and healing and hope. We see this most clearly in the gospel. At the cross, it seems like darkness has won. It seems like evil has triumphed. Hope is lost. Death has won. But it is through death that death is undone. It is through the suffering of Christ that all suffering will one day come to an end. J.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, he coined a word for the turning of tables in a story. He called it the you-catastrophe, the good-catastrophe. It's the sudden, joyous turn that comes. Out of nowhere, out of sorrow, and out of failure. He said, the gospel is the greatest and the most complete conceivable you-catastrophe. And the ending of Acts, Acts 28, reminds us for ourselves to look for that in our own lives. The sudden, joyous turn that gospel spoiler endings in our own lives, what seem like our greatest obstacles, the things that seem like our hindrances and our chains, those are the places where God can meet us to turn the tables to bring life and healing and hope. And those, in fact, are the places where God can work most powerfully through us. So if you are losing hope somewhere in your life, in an obstacle, in a hindrance in your life this morning, 
I want to give you a spoiler alert. God can turn the tables. In literature, there's another type of ending. It's called the denouement, a French word for untying. An ending that where all the loose ends get tied up and you have a strong sense of resolution. And we have to say that in this life, that doesn't always happen for us. But we see the ultimate spoiler ending in the gospel that Jesus will return. He will right all wrongs. He will bring into the world a never-ending kingdom of justice and peace and healing. Where our sorrows, where our tears, where our sighing will not be only over, but will somehow be a part of our greater redemption as we glorify God with greater joy than we could ever imagine. So we can live with great hope in our trials. That's a spoiler ending. Last kind of ending I'll call an open ending. Sometimes when we're watching a movie or a TV show or a series, there's a type of ending that leaves us partly dissatisfied but also partly extremely excited. That's when the story all of a sudden ends, there's a little bit of a, of a climax, something good happens, but all of a sudden the screen goes black and it says the words, to be continued, dot, dot, dot. Like that recent Star Wars movie where you're like, I need more! But you're like, you have to wait. The story is to be continued. That's how the end of Acts is meant to make us feel. Acts purposefully closes with this open ending because there is a to be continued. Once we see who the story is about. Once we're reminded of what this story is about and how it is that God works, then we're ready to ask, what's my part? What's my part in this story? One of the strangest parts of this ending, if you look again at Acts 28, is that it has one of the longest Old Testament quotes in Acts. It's from Isaiah chapter 6. And so we might ask, why end with this one? It sounds... Like, Paul is giving up. Like, it's a closed ending. The people's eyes are closed. They're not responding. Is Paul saying the Jewish community in Rome rejected the message of Jesus? Well, we have to step back and get the context of Isaiah 6. He's quoting from verses 8 and 9. This passage in Isaiah is not a closed ending at all. In fact, this prophecy, this passage, is a new beginning. It's just the opposite. In Isaiah 6, God is telling the prophet Isaiah, you're going to encounter obstacles and opposition. Not everyone's going to respond to your message. Many will not respond. And then at the end of that chapter, in Isaiah 6, verses 12 through 13, God paints this image of a tree. He says, it's like you're trying to plant a tree, Isaiah, but in fact, the tree is getting burned. And it got chopped down to the very stump. But then in verse 13, he says, the holy seed is its stump. He's painting a picture. He's saying the stump is not an ending. It's a new beginning. So this morning, no matter what your story is, no matter where you are, this morning the gospel tells us nothing in our lives. Nothing in our lives is a foregone conclusion. There is no closed ending. There's a famous line from William Shakespeare's play, Tempest, where one of the characters says, what's past is prologue. What's past is prologue.
meaning all that's gone before, is preparation for what lies ahead. In our stories in the Gospel, there are no foregone conclusions. Jesus can change anyone. Jesus can change anything. And He can use any of us. We can today turn and be healed and begin a new beginning. In our story as a church, as Trinity, all that's gone before, the ups and the downs, all that God has done in this church, we're invited to this next chapter to be continued. In this last chapter in the book of Acts, it gives me great hope for my life, for your lives, and for our life together as a church. It's an invitation to any church to join the story, the to be continued, and to follow the Spirit, to live into the Gospel wherever it will lead us. I found a great quote on this open invitation to join the movement of the Gospel. One pastor said, God can do more with 12 disciples than 12,000 observers. Acts 28 is an invitation to follow Jesus into the world. Let me close with a great quote, final quote here from N.T. Wright. I want to put that also up on the screen. You can follow along. I thought he said it just so well. It inspired me. As we close out our series on throwback, here's a summary. Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah and Lord, through his servants, through their journeys and their trials, through their pains and their puzzles and their sufferings and their shipwrecks, still reaching out into the future, out beyond Rome in the first century, out across the tracks of time and geography, still confronting men, women, and children, rulers, disabled people, local authorities, artisans, governors of islands, wandering tent makers, philosophers in the marketplace, and young men nodding off on windowsills. Luke has brought them all before us in a dazzling display of both writing and theology, drawing us in, reminding us once more that this is the drama in which we ourselves have been called to belong to the cast. The journey is ours. The trials and vindications are ours. The sovereign presence of Jesus is ours. The story is ours to pick up and carry on. Luke's writing, like Paul's journey, has reached its end. But in his end is our beginning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an ending it is to this powerful book. We've seen throughout our time here in the book of Acts So many portraits and pictures of the church. So many ways that we're challenged and comforted. So many ways that we're called outside of ourselves into something greater. And I pray this morning, in our places of discouragement, in places that we feel like they're closed endings, that part of our life is done, that book has been closed that you would meet us personally, that you would remind us that it is in and through what are often our deepest struggles, that you bring healing, 
So help us to turn to you with renewed hope. And as a church, I pray that we would listen to what your Spirit says in this book. That we would join in on this movement. That we would find the joy of living for the kingdom of God with great confidence knowing that you are at work in the world and we get, we get to be a part of what you're doing. Teach us. Lead us. Give us your vision for this church and why you have called this church into existence during this time and in this place and called each of us with our gifts and our strengths and our stories to be a part of what you're doing through Trinity. Lead us. Lord Jesus, we pray. In your name. Amen. Would you join me in standing as we close with a final song together?